Will you spend another summer working on your yard for your spouse, kids, and guests? Or would you rather spend the summer with your spouse, playing with the kids, and relaxing with guests? Hire Blue Duck Lawn Care to get the super healthy lawn you love and neighbors will envy. Blue Duck does the fertilizing and weed control. You just mow to get a lush, thick lawn. Best in your neighborhood. If it's got to be green, hire Blue. BlueDuckLawnCare.com. Remember, if it's got to be green, hire Blue. BlueDuckLawnCare.com. 93 WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey Show. I'm Rob Casey's out today. Tony Kennett in for Casey. You can hear him Saturdays. The Tony Kennett Show, 1 to 3 here on WIBC. And Tony, let's start with the brewing feud slash contested primary between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. And I think we can say this. I will speak for myself, then I'll allow you to have the floor. I feel like the Republican Party needs the DeSantis-Trump primary so we see where the Republican Party actually is. I think you're right. One of the key things that I want to bring to bear here is that Trump's really garbage stance on entitlement reform is really, really bad stance on, oh, no, we need to keep Medicare and all of the terrible things that are bankrupting the country because a lot of my voters are 75 years and older. It, it, it's not helpful. And again, why I enjoyed the Trump presidency, why I support it the Trump presidency. While I think that he's not guilty of the majority of crimes people levy at him, I do think that DeSantis is better than Donald Trump in a lot of ways. And uh, I'm eager to see how that plays out in a primary. So far, DeSantis seems to be batting a thousand. The only media statement he's made regarding Trump was pretty flawless. That was on Jesse Waters. And from this point forward, all Trump seems to be doing regarding DeSantis is shooting himself in the feet. You should always want, no matter what party you are, no matter what office it is, from town council all the way through the presidency, you should always want a robust primary because it will always ultimately make the winner better. The primary is the most important part of any political race. Screw the general election. Everyone's already made up their minds. The primary is what matters, period. Why does Todd Young suck? Well, there's many reasons Todd Young sucks, but one of the (laughs) biggest ones was he once again was able, because of the rigged ballot access laws in this state, and it's almost impossible to get on the ballot unless you're uber-rich like Mike Braun or an uber-connected congressman like Todd Rokita or Luke Messer. If we go back to the most recent Senate election cycle before Young to get on the ballot. He didn't have to be held accountable for anything. So what's he do? He breezes into the general with no accountability whatsoever and then goes, well, what option do you have? And then right away, as soon as he gets reelected, he starts voting for all the Democrat Mitch McConnell stuff and goes, what are you going to do about it? Greg Pence. Sorry, Greg, Greg, Greg Pence. Uh, coming as, as, as a, who I would consider myself a, a friend of, of several members of, of the Pants the, the Pants family. The Pants family? The Pants family. Well, I, I, well yeah, not anymore. Uh, I, I was really annoyed during the primary uh, in my own congressional district over in eastern central Indiana to see Greg Pence sweep uh, Todd Lamb, who was a phenomenal candidate, a great guy, and just because he didn't have the fancy last name, lost the primary and the party put his weight behind behind it because he had that fancy last name that we all come to know and love. Primaries matter far more than the general. So uh, the reason all, all of this is it has been fascinating to me for a lot of Trump people who are very upset that DeSantis is even considering running, and it seems a ro- more robust effort to oust DeSantis rather than take a look in the mirror and say, look, uh, you talked about things like entitlement reform. Trump's been awful on that. He doesn't want to touch it. We have to touch it. He was awful during COVID. I mean, absolutely awful. 
awful in terms of pushing the vaccine, in terms of the spending that, that went on, the $5 trillion of printing during 2020. He, he was not good on these things, and why wouldn't we want, no matter who the nominee is, look, if it's indeed DeSantis, I want him held to account because everything he does hasn't been great. Right. We need to know where these people are. And, and another thing here, and I want to make this perfectly clear, because there's a difference between playing politics and, and being an honest, regular individual. You know that you're allowed to just say, look, there are a lot of good candidates out here, but I'm the best one, and here's why. That's all you have to say. You don't have to go, tiny, tiny Ron DeSantis. <laughs> I have to talk about how, even though he was just telling everyone in Florida in the last election to vote for Ron DeSantis because he was the best thing ever to happen to Florida, but now all of a sudden that they're in the ring, you got to get nasty. It, it, you don't have to. Trump uh, has a reputation of being this strong character in the Republican Party. That doesn't mean pimp slapping everyone else in the party just because you feel threatened. Okay, yes. For those of you in the YouTube chat, by the way, y- you will see I have the incredible character that Ethan Hatcher did quite a while ago of Eric Holcomb. I have kept that in full, uh, fully visible. uh, I've secured it over the years because it is so awesome. And you can see it now on the Kendall and Casey YouTube feed. I will tell you what it says later. The print is a little small to read. Oh, no, I just just told them what it says in the chat. So if you're in the live chat, you can see my translation of Latin. I mean, yeah, (laughs) there you go. That's That's a Christian high school education at work. But you absolutely have to see it and as every day we do a little trinket for people who tune in and watch on the YouTube feed so that is what you will see today all right so let's Ron DeSantis went on with Glenn Beck and I thought this was a fascinating interview I'm not necessarily I don't buy into Glenn Beck as the world's greatest broadcaster like many people do but I thought this interview was really good and what was interesting is that DeSantis talked about how the Trump administration Deborah Burks not to be confused with Dr. Box, our right. own little shutdown wizard here. Remember Dr. Box, gynecologist, oh, the yeah. uh, state health commissioner, um, how the Trump administration tried to get him to lock down harder in the early parts of COVID. And he said, no dice. So the, the, White, the White House task force was hammering me for like the first, like really like three months because they wanted me to be, uh, you know, clamping down harder. And, um, and, and and she you know she and she so I so I called I was like Deborah just tell me when in American history modern has this been done and what were the results because like I kind of feel like you know we're flying blind here and we may be doing things that could be damaging and as she said she's like you know it's kind of our own science experiment that we're doing in real time Ooh. and that didn't sit well with me no. I mean you know you're a citizen of a republic you're not a guinea pig. So according to DeSantis, now again, he's selling books and obviously he, you know, is going to run for president. So he's got a reason to maybe spend things in his favor. The Trump administration, according to him, was like, dude, you are not locking down hard enough. Yeah, I mean, this is what the Trump administration did say from the outset. I, again, while Trump later did was one of the people who said we need to come back from the lockdown, while he was one of those people, originally, he was not. Right. And, and it is it is important to note that. And by the way, a lot of people weren't, not for all the same reason, not because everyone was evil. A lot of people were being cautious, and I think that we like to paint everything in this complete black and white right at the onset of the pandemic, when a lot of people didn't know a lot of things. But if it's true that she said it's just a little science experience, it's just a little... It's just a little science experiment, Rob. It's what fun. No, it's a pandemic. Grow up, you bloviated child. We're dealing with the United States citizenry here. You cannot treat them like they're your little lab rats. All right. So then he went on to talk about when he knew the science people were full of it and that this was all basically bunk. 
And I love that he said this out loud because he's saying the things that everybody in the Republican Party should be saying. He knew that scientists were full of crap when they came out and supported the George Floyd protests. You remember the um, George Floyd riots yeah, when yeah, the yeah. epidemiologist? Yeah. Because people were saying, you've been telling people to you have in. to stay in your home. And like in Florida, they were killing us. Because even in those early days, you know, when we were following federal guidelines loosely, but we were following some... We were playing golf. I mean, the villages, they're, sure. they're setting record for golf. People are boating, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. They were so mad at Florida for doing that. People on the beach, all this stuff. That was their position. You are killing people if you leave your house. So then all these people are, like thousands of people are protesting. 2,000 of these epidemiologists write a letter saying, we do not condemn these protests uh, because of COVID. Indeed, we think they're vital for public health right. because they're fighting it's racism. It's a bigger disease yes. than COVID. <laughs> and so that's, that's when I knew. Is this that, this public health this public health uh, a, a clan of people? They are sick. I mean, they are they are ideologically captured, and these are not people that should be anywhere near the levers of power. Yeah, you think about even in our own state, in which Doctor Box gynecologist, who I've tried to figure out. Remember, you may remember Tony. I asked the governor in a very polite written group of questions why a gynecologist was the best person to lead a pandemic. And I was told it would not serve Hoosiers well for that answer to be provided. This is the same woman who finger wagged on statewide television about you wearing your mask when you go out after she knew the week before she'd been at her kid's wedding with hundreds of people where she wasn't wearing a mask. And we put that photo out and then she got mad at us. Not because she did the thing and was a complete hypocrite, but because she got caught doing the thing. These people are all full of crap. All of them have just been totally full of crap. So I've, I have taught high school biology, high school anatomy and physiology, and middle school science. And there are some very basic principles which govern all of science, all of creation that we can observe very easily every single day. And somehow, when I got to graduate school, and when I have noticed all of the high, extremely impressive conversations among academia, <laughs> they seem to like forget a lot of basic rules, like the diffusion of gas, which is when, when you're outside, you're not going to breathe in germs of someone 10 feet away. It just ain't happening. I don't care what they're wearing. I don't care if you're trying to breathe it in, gas particles do not diffuse that way. And so for our state gynecologist to get on the air and tell everyone they need to wear a mask when they go outside, I just I wanted to throw a seventh grade science book at her. You're a fraud. You're stupid and you know it. All right. Speaking of stupid and you know it, uh, we're going to take a break. Tony Kennett in for Casey today. And when we come back, you won't believe what Indiana Senate Republicans did. They basically said, if your kid wants to be trans, you got no right to parent your child. Unbelievable, yet totally believable because it's Senate Republicans. We'll talk about it when we come back. So the results are in. And when it comes to taxes... Indiana, not so great. Yeah, mediocre. It's the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob Tony Kennett's in for Casey. Yes, we are going to get into what Rod Bray, the head of the Senate and Senate Republicans, did yesterday. I mean, just really gross stuff. And I want to give Tony time to launch off on this. So we will save that for a little bit later in the hour. But there is a new study out uh, done by Wallet Hub that tracks taxation by state and they call this your total tax burden right so they take your property taxes your individual income tax and your total sales and excise tax they lump them all together and they say by state how does your state do compared to other states and right you would think tony 
Because, well, I'm told all the time by people like uh, the esteemed representative from Seymour, Jim Lucas, who's fighting with me after 11 o'clock at night on social media, how as we all do, how low our taxes are, what a great job they're doing on the taxes. You'd think with the Republican supermajorities, the Republican governor, uh, that we would be top of the class. Oh, yeah. You go to Congress, the counties, you go to the GOP oh, big yes. party they had right before the election that I kind of crashed because I didn't have an invitation. Uh-huh. And and they get up there, and I kid you not, they get them in front, and Suzanne Crouch goes up and goes, Indiana's a state that works, and they all start back patting <laughs> aggressively. Oh, we're so great on the tax. <laughs> we're just the best. Tell us how we're really doing in taxes, Rob. Well, uh, again, this is according to Wallet Hub. They factored in property taxes, individual income tax, and total sales and excise tax. Indiana is dun, 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 28th. So we are basically right smack dab in the middle. So we have a Republican supermajority. Yes. Uh-huh. We have a Republican governor. Mm-hmm. We have Republican districts in the state all over that are supposed to be lowering taxes because yes. we're supposedly, I'm saying this as a Republican, we're supposedly this party mm-hmm. of small government, yet we're 28th. Yes. We're, so ah, so mm. your total tax burden, when you lump all of those things together for the average person, comes out to 8.42%. Yeah, but Rob, these taxes, yes. they're going to two very, very important things. Oh. They are, they're going to our roads. Have oh, you yeah. seen how nice our roads are they're, out there? They're... Uh, they're roads. They are indeed roads. <laughs> I Personally, I love whenever I go out to visit my dad, how the road turns to gravel and broken dreams. Uh. <laughs> I, I really appreciate that. It seems we're, we're spending a bit. We're also spending it on education, oh, Rob. Yes. Have you seen how good our schools are? One out of every school at IPS, one out of every school <laughs> students can read. One kid, they, they actually pick one student each year. They teach that kid how to read. That kid gets to uh, learn his letters and then only one teacher at a time can teach, you know, so that's yeah, yeah, really all you got. Well, and what's really interesting here when it comes to Indiana, and I've talked about this for a very long time and I know our audience has as well, one of the areas where they really fail is in, um, at least compared to other states, is this total sales and excise tax burden. And this is the catch, right? So when they supposedly, they lied to you, but when they supposedly capped the property taxes in 2008, they raised the sales tax. You didn't get a tax reduction. You got a tax shift. And when you think about things you know, like wheel tax and all these other variety of taxes that they throw on you, they can call them fees. I mean, they get creative. They don't always call them taxes. Your tax burden in this state is not that much different yeah, but, but than Rob, other uber-liberal states. Rob, now hold on. Yes. We got something back from the state, though. They, they sent it to my mailbox, uh-huh. I guess, like a Jelly of the Month club. Uh-huh, yes. So, I mean, I may, I may have really high taxes that are really unnecessary that aren't doing anything, sure. but, I mean, hey, they, they gave me back $150 to my bank account, which can buy, like, three loaves of bread in this market. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news on this, Tony. You really do hate to be well, the bearer of bad I, news. Because I know you and I have started really enjoying listening to the uh, Tony Kennett show, which you can hear Saturday. Saturdays here on WIBC. Nice segue. Uh, I know that you. Uh, I know that you also hate to relay when the government is not holding up its end of the bargain. Mm. But that two hundred dollars, hundred and fifty, whatever it was that we got back. You know, they were sitting on about fifteen hundred of your money that they had no use to fund the government with. So they gave you about, uh, well, just a little over one tenth of your excess taxation on top of their already high taxation. Power. Oh, yeah. And you know Blue Minnesota, right? Blue Minnesota <laughs> is number five yeah. on that list. I saw this. So they're, so it's it's better in Blue 
Minnesota tax wise than it is here in the Hoosier state. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, okay. Let's take a break. When we come back, uh, obviously the financial crisis, a huge deal or a potential financial crisis. I mean, that's the problem, right? Nobody really has any idea what's going on right now. Is this a panic mode? Is this a no big deal mode? Is this an isolated thing? I said, let's bring in a highly trained expert to explain our old friend, Dr. Michael Munger, economist at Duke, one of the all-time great economic minds in the history of this country. He's going to tell us whether we should feel better or worse about our economic fortunes when we come back. Tony Kennett, in for Casey. It's Kendall and Casey Show. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Well, the change was made up time and the big man Joe and the baby. Show on Rob Tony Kennison for Casey today. So, how big a trouble is the banking slash financial system in? Let's go to a guy who has a whole big old degree in just that. Let's head to the drivehubler.com hotline. Duke economist Dr. Michael Munger joins us now. All right, Dr. Munger, scale of one to 10, 10 being this is the biggest thing ever, one is not a big deal at all. Where are we on these banks going down? I'm going to go with five because we're in potentially there's a problem a lot of it depends how people react and if panic spreads about people wanting their deposits out then it could go up from five to twelve you and i met 15 years ago during the last economic collapse i don't know if you remember that that is when we started uh, doing radio together Is this anything like what we experienced in 2008? If so, why? And if not, why is it different? I think it's different, but it could end up in some of the same place. Remember in... uh, When the Empire Strikes Back, they're heading for the the big uh, battle star, and they... Admiral Akbar turns to the bridge and says, It's a trap. (laughs) This was a trap. And it was set by regulators. Now, uh, Gregory Becker, who was the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, he's an Indiana boy, by the way. He's uh, from Fort Wayne and uh, went to IU, went to the Kelly School of Business. This guy, Gregory Becker, is the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, and they decide they're going to be extremely innovative. Now, a bank, what a bank does, let's just... This is boring, but it's important. What a bank does is it collects money from a bunch of depositors, and then it makes loans to people who need large sums of money. Silicon Valley Bank was going to be something different. Silicon Valley Bank was going to be a risk-free place for the new economy companies to be able to hold their, their money with no risk. And so almost all of the money that Gregory Becker and Silicon Valley Bank had took in, and billions and billions from all of these Silicon Valley companies, what, where they put the money was in U.S. government bonds, which are supposed to be among the least risky assets there are. Now, they did, these are long-term bonds. And they're hard to unload. They're hard to get rid of. They were 
buying these bonds at a time when the U.S. Federal Reserve was just printing money as fast as it could and putting out gigantic sums of money. There were periods in 2011, 2012, up to about 2016, where they were doubling the money supply every two or three years, which is incredible. It's unprecedented. We haven't done that, which means that the interest rates on these federal bonds were really low. Now, the interest rate is how much money you get paid for holding the bond. In right. some cases, they're below 1%. So we've got this bank. It's going to specialize in something new, and it's just going to hold money for rich folks. And they're going to invest that money in a risk-free asset, U.S. government bonds. Now... The Federal Reserve says, wait, there's inflation. Well, yeah, there's inflation. <laughs> you, you doubled the money supply every two years for nearly a decade. Yes, there's inflation. And then to boot, the other part of the trap was that your president, Joe Biden, said we need to do everything everywhere all at once. And so we will – that was a, a – a movie reference. Uh, they, we're going to spend all this money on Build Back Better on every dimension. We're not going to focus on one thing. We're going to spend money everywhere. So the Federal Reserve policy and the government policy set the trap by saying, first, you have all these really low interest rate bonds that are being held by people who believed the story that these were risk free. And then we have rampant inflation. And for technical reasons that I mean, you can read more about it if, if you want, but the important thing is if interest rates go up, the value of bonds falls a lot. Bonds are, in fact, very risky. So if I have a 30-year bond and I hold it to maturity, it's not risky because after 30 years, I'm going to get paid. But in the meantime, the value of that bond fluctuates. Dr. So, Michael. Oh, great. Dr. Michael Munger, Duke Economist, our guest, trying to make some sense of what's going on in the economy. So how rampant is this? Do we think it's okay there's just a couple banks out there that were silly enough to do this? Or is the fear, well, maybe this is everywhere, and as we start peeling back this onion, we're going to find it was a lot more prevalent than we thought? The thing about banks is that there's two kinds of insolvency. One is liquidity, and the other is equity. So if everybody wants their deposits all at once, no bank is solvent. All banks are constantly bankrupt. So in the if, – if I may make another movie reference – You're on a roll in, today. You're rolling. <laughs> it, it, and it's, it, it's a wonderful life when they're going to go on their honeymoon and some people come in and say they want their money out and then everybody wants their money out. The bank doesn't have the money. It's invested. No bank has the money. It doesn't make sense to think well, they're going to store your money. The reason they can stay in business is they invest the money, and they can't sell it in the next hour without taking a giant loss. Right. So every bank in the United States is insolvent if everybody wanted their deposits all at once. Now, the Federal Reserve is supposed to be the lender of last resort to prevent that. And, you know, maybe it'll work, but th this could spread rapidly if people panic and say, I want my money out now. So the reason I said it was a five but might be a 12 is, uh, in terms of, of risk, is that we might very well see this kind of panic spreading. Dr. Michael Munger, our guest, Duke Economist. So, you know, when we first started talking in 2008 and then obviously 2009, the banking law, Dodd-Frank, 2010, the government came in and the, and the Democrats who wrote the law said, hey, we're going to save you from yourself. We're going to prevent this from ever happening again. 
the idea that as you talked about with 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 these bonds and then obviously it came out that they were lending based on crypto as collateral it doesn't seem like the government protected us from much of anything when it comes to risky behavior it almost seems like the government lied to me that's the story that the democrats are going to tell in 2018, President Trump signed into law legislation that exempted these banks from the kind of regulation that Dodd-Frank imposed on the very large banks. So all of the smaller, and this isn't that small, but the smaller banks are not subject to the same kind of regulation. But that was the reason that I went into that long and boring story about bonds. These were not risky investments. The risk was imposed by the government itself. So for to say that if we had had more regulation about taking less risk, there's nothing that is less risky than investing in bonds unless monetary policy is constantly changing interest rates. So I think that's what's unexpected. Sure, you can say in retrospect, they should have realized that bonds were risky because you cannot rely on the promises that the government makes. Yeah, so that, so that, that is so good, and this is why you're one of the best in the business. This is why you make huge money at Duke, and, and I'm here in radio. <laughs> so what you're saying is they did the bank did the thing in the sense of the bonds, which is safe. The government screwed everything up, which is the money supply. It makes the bonds unsafe, and then the government comes back and goes, look at what you did. We must have more government. Did I, did I summarize that? properly absolutely so the government it, it, it is as if i went and set a house on fire and then claimed credit for putting the fire out <laughs> um do you have any idea what the ramifications of this will be i mean it, it, well let me ask this first you are you obviously understand this you are one of like 10 people in the country who understand this is the problem that it's too complex for the average person to understand so they just throw their hands up and go government must do something because i need my money to be safe it is the, the idea of risk is too complicated for most people to understand and we have relied on bankers in order to uh, take care of this problem and to be fair a, a bunch of bankers have made what turns out to be really bad mistakes normally they would be punished so here's the other thing that we haven't talked about yet supposedly the fdic which was created in 1934 to guarantee deposits only guarantees deposits at first up to 100,000, now up to 250,000. There is a depositor at Silicon Valley Bank that has three billion, that's with a B, dollars deposited in Silicon Valley Bank. There's a big difference between 250,000 and three billion. So what the government is doing is saying, look, you guys shouldn't worry. We're going to guarantee deposits up to three billion. <laughs> now, what what that means? There's, no, there's nothing in the law. That's just we're trying to help you all out. Sure. The re the reason that's a problem is that it means depositors have no reason to shop among different banks to say, well, is this risky? They don't care. Whoever offers the highest interest rate, that's where they'll go because the deposits are guaranteed. So the banks are competing 
And if they go bankrupt, Silicon Valley Bank is going to lose a ton of money. The stockholders are going to lose money. But we've sort of put a plug into the extent of the risk. So when you say people don't understand, they have no reason to understand because Uncle Sugar will pay them back. Yes. If I'm a depositor, I don't care. I will get paid back no matter what. I don't care about risk. Yeah, so that, that, that's the question, Dr. Munger. We've been asking all week, and, and we'll get you out here with this. Since I was a little kid, I remember the big sign when you walk up to the counter at the bank, and I'm one of like seven people that still actually goes into the bank to do the banking. You still see it. Your deposit is secured up to $250,000. It's been that way forever and ever and ever. If it wasn't $250,000, if that wasn't the limit, why was there ever a sign that told me that? Uh, they want you to know how kind they are being to you. <laughs> so if, it's really, if I tell you your bedtime is 9 o'clock when you're three years old, uh-huh. and you get to stay up to 9.15, you say, wow, that's great. Mom and Dad are great. Whereas if they said 11, I wouldn't be impressed. So yeah. if they tell you 250 and then it's $3 billion, gosh, Santa Claus is so kind to me. I must have been nice and not naughty. Uh, he is one of the best in the business. Dr. Michael Munger, Duke Economist. Where can people find you on the social media to read all of your astute observations in real time best way is on twitter and i am at mungowitz m-u-n-g-o-w-i-t-z dr michael munger thank you my friend thank you thanks so much it's the kendall and casey show on 93 w-i-b-c life is full of things to manage your work your family your plans and your treatment consider kesimpta ofatumumab 20 milligram injection you can take it yourself from the comfort of home if you're ready for something different ask your healthcare provider about kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. not believe what Indiana Senate Republicans have done. They basically said, you don't know how to parent your kids. 93 WIBC. It is the Kendall and Casey show. I'm Rob Tony Kennett's in for Casey. Now, Tony, I sent this to you yesterday and, and I said, you can almost always count on Indiana Senate Republicans to not do the right thing. And I think this bill yesterday that they killed, it had already overwhelmingly passed the House, which essentially says that if you don't play ball, if your kid decides he or she is transgender and you don't play ball with this and facilitate it, then the government can come take your kid. There was a bill that would have prevented that from happening because it has happened. There is a real world example that sparked this bill. Rod Bray and the Senate Republicans came out yesterday and said, "Now we're not doing that. Well, you see, Rob, you, you see what it, the Republican senators in Indiana, they, they understand that they are serving all the constituents oh. in the Hoosier state. And sure, if you call Senator J.D. Ford's office and you tell him you're a Republican and you have concerns, he'll flip you off over the phone and then hang up on you. But if you call a Republican senator like Kyle Walker and you say, can we sit down and just chat? And you say, look, I'm transgender. My kid is a transgender furry lesbian basket weaver. And if you pass this bill, he'll commit suicide for 
times in a row. Then all of the Republican senators go, oh, well, we don't want, I don't want to be on the cover of, of the New York Times tomorrow morning, and I don't really want to be in a Rachel Maddow segment, so we better just button our lips and pass another finance law. And that's how the Indiana Senate works. I'm serious. I, I have talked to over 20 Indiana senators in the last year, and that is exactly how the Indiana Senate works. Yeah, this is unbelievable. The House Bill 1407 overwhelmingly passed the House, and this came out of a real-world event that happened in Anderson in which uh, a family had a transgender child. They weren't playing ball with this in terms of acknowledging whatever the child was saying. They weren't going along with the puberty blockers, etc. And DCS came in and took this child from this house and it seems like such a no-brainer to me that until look when a person turns 18 they can do whatever they want they yep. can take whatever they want they can yep. chop off whatever they want they yep. can add whatever they want yep. but until you are 18 your parents are your guardian your parents get to decide think about how all the stupid crap that you did before you turned yeah, 18. I, I want to point out again that in every single adolescent psychology course that I have ever taken and passed with flying colors in every single classroom that I've ever taught in, I have learned one resounding fact over and over again. Kids are stupid. They are. I was stupid when I was a kid. You were stupid when you were a kid. That's part of being a kid. Your brain's not fully developed. You know what you don't need to be doing as a kid? Destroying your endocrine system via hormonal injections, sterilizing yourself, and cutting off your penis. You don't need to be doing that. You know what the rate of detransitioning minors are growing every year because more kids are falling into this woke nonsense and that's going to cause more long-term suicides when you have kids that are so sterile and so depressed from destroying their body's hormonal regulation that they can't bear to live another day and these indiana senators they don't actually do any of the research they don't actually talk to anyone important on this they listen to one lgbtq advocate waltz in with a kid with a trans flag cape cry in their office because she has no friends so she has to come up with with weird political causes to root for and then bully this Republican senator who knows nothing about nothing to knock down a bill that the majority of their Republican constituents put them in office for. Yeah, and that that's the thing, right? And we say this all the time on this show and I hope, I hope, I hope things like this just open people's eyes to the fact that there is almost no difference between these two parties. This was such a no-brainer that your kid, you parent your kid. And when your kid becomes an adult, then your kid can do whatever he or she wants to do and can call themselves whatever he or she wants to call themselves and can chop off or add whatever he or she wants to chop off or add. But the idea that the Republican Party in Indiana supports, because that's what Rod Bray and the Senate, the Senate Republicans are doing. They are throwing their support behind the idea that if you don't play ball with this, your kid's own mental nonsense, that the government can come in and seize your kid. And it is not a, well, that's just an over-exaggeration. It happened. This bill was written and passed the House because it happened, and the Republicans are saying, we are fine with it. And you ask them about it, and they'll say one of two things. Number one, they'll say no comment, and they'll scurry away in their cheap Doc's shoes that they got from Kohl's this afternoon. Or number two, they'll look at you and say, well, the bill actually has all of these problems. And they'll start telling you how in legalese in this one law class they took at Cornell online last year. <laughs> like, well, actually, the 
language says that you could construe this into a situation in which a kid could be beaten with a cat of nine tails every day and it would be legal. Of course, that's garbage. That's not going to happen. But the Republican senator does not want you asking them why on God's green earth they are allowing the state to take away children because you wouldn't let them cut off their breasts or their penis. They don't want you to ask them that. So Indiana Capital Chronicle had the story and listen to this quote, according to them, from this woman's name is Molly Fisher. I'm making a huge risk of assuming her gender since the name is Molly. But this is and this is all you get from these people. Quote, Senator Bray has serious concerns about the legislation and citing the pending court case on the matter doesn't see a path forward on the bill for the bill. The only reason there's no path forward is because you said there wasn't one. You're Rod Bray. You're the head of the Senate. You're the big boss. You decide who gets committee ships. You get. You decide how dollars get doled out. You snap your fingers and things happen. And Micah, you know, and I talked about this this week on Statehouse Happenings. The Republicans in the Senate are so brutally weak and liberal and just get, it's like they get joy out of putting their eye in the finger of conservatives. And yet, for some reason, people keep voting for these guys. I have no idea why. It, it, it bewilders me, the, the gap between the Senate and the House, because you can talk to a representative and they'll listen to you. Senate, they don't care. They're in there for the power. All right. When we come back, Biden making another run on the guns. Pelosi, she is in love with Biden, says he's not all that old. We got some great audio coming up next. Tony Kennett and for Casey. Kennell and Casey show in 93 WIBC. 